look, if you want to be in the band, you got to blow your own horn. Yeah. And if you don't do it, and it means you don't even believe what you're doing is right because you're not even talking about it. You're not even acting like you can do it. Mm-hmm. So blow that horn. Let us hear it. Then get in the band if, if you can blow it good. This is Dr. Paul Hamburg of UpperCervicalDocs.com, and this is an interview I did with pastor, author, and upper cervical advocate Dr. James Tomasi. In 1997, James was making final plans to take his own life after suffering with excruciating pain from trigeminal neuralgia for over 10 years. His wife heard a radio program about upper cervical care and convinced him to go see the doctor in their town. Needless to say, that changed his life and ended his plans to commit suicide. Now Dr. Tomasi lives his life making people aware of upper cervical care across the nation by doing public service lectures, TV and radio appearances, as well as speaking in many churches, colleges, and clinics. He has written several books along with his wife, and one book, What Time Tuesday, chronicles his personal story of suffering with trigeminal neuralgia and his recovery under upper cervical care. This interview is about an hour long in two parts, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, uh, I was born in a uh, White Pine County. It's in Nevada in a town called, it wasn't even, I, it was Ely is what I put on yours, but it was actually a mining town in uh, alongside Ely called McGill, Nevada. What, what did you, did, were your, was your dad a miner? Well, he was a uh, refiner. Uh, that was uh, Kennecott Mines, and uh, uh, as they're mining for copper in the big copper pit, they have this slag that comes off of it and goes down way down into a big pool. And my dad worked with the other refiners, and they'd pull those out and begin to burn that to get the gold and silver and uh, any precious metal. And he came. Uh, he came uh, to America in the early 30s to get away from Mussolini and what was going on there in Italy and uh, didn't speak very good English. And there wasn't uh, a lot of uh, like for Italians uh, in that area. So he ended up in Chicago. And in Chicago, the only job he could get is if he'd take a train and go out into the middle of the desert of Nevada and work in a copper pit. Uh, as a refiner. I was born in 1938, and World War II was looming, so my dad uh, opted to go to the Pacific Northwest into Portland, Oregon, and work on uh, shipbuilding. And my mother, who was uh, quite handy with her hands and really just a, a kind of a workaholic, she became a Rosie the Riveter on the Liberty Ship in Swan Island out on the Willamette River. So they put us in an area called St. John's Woods, which was, was uh, sometimes I think about the kids thinking, oh, how terrible we live, or the, 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 the I don't know, you know where they, the government housing and such. Ours was uh, just paper and wood and uh, windows that leaked, and, and uh, all the, the families that worked there lived there. And it was like one big, huge family of, uh, of brothers and sisters and uh, basketball, football, baseball games and riding bicycles and just doing everything, enjoying yourself as I began to grow up. So for the next, uh, uh, I guess we got there in 1940, and uh, I left in 1949. And, and this was in so the... that was my early beginning was, uh, 
living in the desert and then moving into Portland, Oregon, which was absolutely beautiful. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, you said that this was until 1949, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> did you leave home then? No, uh, I didn't leave home, but I did leave uh, uh, Oregon. My mother and father had divorced, and uh, my mother remarried a military man, and he was a reconnaissance officer that flew in airplanes and took photos, and uh, he got stationed in Japan. Uh. After a, a, a brief, I think we were two years or so, uh, we the whole family was able to go over there. Uh. So you spent. So so you grew up part of your uh, uh, youth in Japan then too, huh? Yes, exactly. I I graduated eighth grade and high school. Okay. Well, what did you do after high school? Well, I came back to America and started at Portland State College back in Portland, Oregon, uh, studying to just do business, uh, get a business degree, and uh, ended up. Uh, uh, getting hired overseas, as I really enjoyed overseas. I I grew up kind of being a a, a, a uh, uh, you know I was the only white guy in the school type place, and so everybody I knew. In fact, my first girlfriend was a little Japanese girl, just the sweetest, cutest girl in the world. And so I longed to go back and be in that kind of environment. So uh, I left and uh, headed overseas, and I stayed overseas until I was forty. Wow. And I did a little bit of everything, but I ended up being a trader in a brokerage firm where we would uh, sell the gross national product of whatever country I happened to be in. Okay. Wow, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, there's a lot of stories involved in that. Uh, I wrote a book called Feed the Tiger, and it's all about uh, growing up in that kind of a circumstance and, and just how... Uh, how crazy it gets and, and got and truly enjoyed it. I never married a, uh, a foreign girl. I, I did end up marrying a, the girl while I was in college and uh, uh, she died in a, in a car accident and I left shortly after that. Oh man. Well, what country was that in? Well, no. This is while I was still in college. Oh, uh, I see. There in Portland. Oh, so you got married in college. Yes, in college, right. Oh. She uh, had been uh, uh, just a real love of my life, and I couldn't believe that I could actually that. In fact, I remember standing there when we were married, and I said, this is mine. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Wow. I was absolutely flabbergasted. Wow. Well, when did you and Rhonda meet? We met several years later. Uh, uh, I ended up having three children. Rhonda ended up having four children. And uh, uh, I was at that time studying to be a minister, becoming a preacher, and and uh, in the church where I was working at, um, I uh, uh, she was the secretary at the church, and I felt the spirit tell me that uh, you're going to marry this girl, and I had resolved to never get married again. I didn't think I'd ever find anybody that would even. I just I had no interest in it at all, yeah. and uh, I thought. Uh, so when he said it, I said, you got to be kidding. So I looked at Ron, I come walking down the hall of the church, and she was sitting at her desk, and I said, you're not going to believe this, Rhonda, but the, uh, I believe the Holy Spirit just told me that you and I are going to get married. And she said, well, let me confirm that. 
And I went, whoa, you are kidding. I said, well, if it's really him, then let's wait a year, and, and I'll check back with you and see how you feel. So a year went by, and uh, in fact, it was 11 months, and I said, uh, I, I talked with her again. Didn't talk with her very much, and I talked with her again. I said, boy, that, that feeling of me married is getting stronger, and she says, well, I'm waiting. <laughs> so I said, well then we need to just do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, this obviously is something that I'm not arranging, uh, and if you're willing, then let's do it. So we got married, and we, we combined our family, the three kids of mine and her four, and and had a blended family that they all kind of grew up together. Well, now, was this after your, uh, um, your stint as a businessman? Yes. Okay, so uh, after you were... Uh, uh, done with business, you then went to school to go into the ministry? Yes. How old were you at that time? Jeez, uh, that would have been, uh, well, we've been married 21 years, and I am 71, so I was 50 years old. Okay. I see. Okay. Well, My kids were pretty well grown. Yeah. Well, uh, my son Drew, he lives out in uh, Los Angeles. He's uh, has a radio program uh, every Saturday night on KTLA, uh, where he speaks about uh, saving lives, and he's an evangelist and works in the church. And uh, really, is uh, he's a by profession, he's a, 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 a insurance salesman. Huh. Uh, as uh, his as his real vocation, he's uh, evangelist, and he spends all off time that he's not doing insurance. He uh, works the ministry, and uh, the radio program is part of his ministry. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and he's not affiliated with uh, any church anymore because the churches want him to bring the people that he saves into his church, and that doesn't work because Los Angeles is quite large and. So he he pretty much uh, works with them, gets them saved, and then he uh, kind of indoctrinates them, and then he tells them, you know, that if you'll just listen, they'll, the Lord will guide you to a church you need to belong to. Uh-huh. So it works out very well for him. Drew is uh, a very unique young man who uh, uh, <laughs> is just a neat, neat guy. And the two girls I had, they're both married. Okay. Well, tell us about uh, how you, um, your experience contracting trigeminal neuralgia. Tell us that story. Okay. I uh, started to get on in years, and I wanted to get some work done on my teeth and and, uh, generally do some stuff for me, which I normally didn't do because of the children and taking care of their needs and their such. Rhonda's quite younger than I am, and the babies she had were quite young, and so uh, I never really considered myself in anything. I always, what can we do? How can we, you know, what, what children need as they're growing up? And so I decided a good friend of mine was a dentist, and, and I talked with Don, and I said, what do you think? And he says, well, let's look. And he looked, and then he gave me a, uh, he told me we've got a lot of work to do here. And I said, okay, let's do it. So I got in and under his care, and I had a root canal. And I remember uh, uh, coming out of that root canal and the work that he had done, I was impacted in my face. I couldn't feel anything. And and uh, I remember him giving me a prescription and said, uh, uh, go ahead and fill this prescription and and uh, 
this was on uh, uh, I don't know what day it was for sure and, and he said uh, see me in about three days so I made an appointment I said you bet and I got in my pickup truck at that time I lived in Oklahoma and, and uh, uh, I drove back up to the house and as I got out of the truck and started walking up the stairs that uh, Novocaine was beginning to wear off and I was beginning to get a real pain in my face that that uh, I never really understood. It was just unbelievable. In fact, I felt that pain came from the pit of hell. Uh, I'm the kind of a guy that has a very high pain tolerance, and uh, so I kind of blew it off a little bit, but it got worse, and so uh, I called Don at home, and I said, boy, this is really hurting. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, did you fill that prescription? And I said, no. And he said, well, James, go fill that, and why don't you just meet me in the parking lot tomorrow morning, uh, 7.30, and uh, we'll look at it and see what's going on. And I said, okay. So I went on to the to the pharmacist and filled the prescription and uh, got a decent sleep and went in the next morning. It was By then, it was really hurting, really bad hurting. It to a, uh, the kind of a pain, Paul, that would... Uh, that began to scare me because I've never felt anything like that before. And there was no way I could hold my head or hold my tongue or do anything to stop the pain. And the prescription they gave me kind of numbed me a little bit, uh, but it didn't stop the pain. So uh, he began to look and, and did whatever he did. Uh, uh, he resutured me and saw that if I had something that was uh, causing something, I mean, just really worked on me, then really loaded me up with Novocaine and, and I was taking the pills and I went on to work. And during the afternoon, it came back again as the Novocaine wore off. And that began 12 years of uh, just unbelievable pain. And trichomoralgia, or better known on the web, if you look it up, it's, it's, uh, it's called the suicide disease. Uh, I, uh, I, just, I just didn't think I could make it, and then all of a sudden, it went away. And uh, <clears throat> being with the church and having people lay hands on me and praying all the time, I just thought I'd been healed, and I forgot about it. And it was gone for about six, maybe seven months. And then one day I went walking down my lane to check the mail in the mailbox. And as I turned to walk over to the mailbox, there was breeze blowing and it hit my face. And when it did, it that that thing started coming back. It's, uh, it's just a little trigger point that says I'm back. And I believed it said, James, and this time I'm really going to hurt you. Wow. And by the time I got back to the house, I was holding my head, and, and I couldn't hardly get up the stairs, and went in, and it started. Wow. And that episode, the first episode lasted just a few days. This one lasted about 10 days, 12 days, and it would, the pain is like, uh, the closest I can, um, in those days that I could describe it, it was like taking a cattle prod when you're pushing cattle up a chute and you, you jolt them in the hindquarters so that they'll keep moving on, and it was an electrical shock that would just hit my face and just hit it, and then it stopped, then it hit it, then it stopped, then it hit it, hit it, hit it, stop, and uh, uh, never knowing when it was going to do it, and then when it stopped, the pain would still be there, but not that real lightning bolt pain, and then it would do it again, and that one lasted uh, a little bit longer, and then it too went away. And in the meantime, I began to search uh, how to get rid of this. And so uh, 
we looked and talked and uh, being in Oklahoma, uh, I don't know if it was because of the area we were in, it took six years for them to diagnose that I had trigeminal neuralgia. Good night. Yeah, Paul, and in the meantime, I'm talking to Don all the time, and I'm saying, look, it's my teeth, and they're killing me. And he says, uh, not nothing wrong with them. And I said, well, I, I need you to pull them. Mm. I said, I think if we could pull the teeth out, uh, we could get that pain gone. And under duress, he said, all right, and he began to take. Well, finally, when he got all the teeth gone, and the pain was still there, and that was over a year that he took the time to be pulling them because the, the pain would go away, then it'd come back, and it'd be in my teeth again, and I'd be just going nuts, and he'd begin to pull more. And finally, when they were all gone, he I remember sitting in the chair, and he's looking at me, and he says, how's it feel? And I said, it's killing me. And he says, well, obviously, it's not your teeth. Wow. So from there, he sent me to an oral surgeon, and they re-cut me open on all my gums again, uh, scraped it all the way down to the bone, Good. and then uh, sutured me back up with an attitude that perhaps I had a dry socket or I had something going on that was causing it. And uh, uh, within, well, the minute that he shot me with Novocaine, the minute they knocked me out, the pain was gone. But the minute that it was started to wear off, the pain was still there. So he said, well, let me send you uh, to another doctor friend of mine, and perhaps he can figure out what it is. And so I went there, and he, after some testing, said, ooh, you have what is known as trigeminal neuralgia. Mm -hmm. And I said, what in the world is that? And he said, well, it's not good news. Mm -hmm. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no. He says, uh, it has a will of its own, and you've got atypical, so atypical goes uh, in your forehead, in your eye, in your face. Uh, in your ear, in your nose, and on your tongue. And it did. It just would circle all around through those different places, hurting in different places. When it was on my tongue, it was probably the worst of all, that in my eye. Wow. It was in my eye. It felt like uh, somebody with a drill was in the inside of my head drilling my eye out. Oh, and then man. it would reverse and try to suck my eye into the inside of my head. Oh, it was just crazy. So I spent time going to getting my drugs, uh, all different kinds of uh, medicine, and uh, it made me and turned me into a zombie, but it never got rid of the pain. But then it would leave, and I would think, ah, gone, it's good, it's gone. And then uh, within so many days or weeks or months, it was back again. Finally, after 10 years, Paul, it came on me one day, and it never left. The, the real spikes, the ones that just absolutely just felt like it was pulling your, your face apart, they wouldn't last long, but the lingering pains were so bad, I, uh, I would tremble. I remember coming out of Walmart one day, and I hadn't had any pain, and I was feeling pretty good, and I was with my wife, and we were shopping and getting the cart full, and <clears throat> I'm pushing the cart out. And the door swung open, and the air swung into the inside of the doorway there and hit my face again. And, boy, it hit me so hard, I dropped to my knees. Wow. And Rhonda, of course, grabbed a hold of me and asked if I was okay, and I couldn't talk. And finally I got up and walked on down and uh, uh, got in the car. I couldn't drive, and, and I got to the house, and I knew it was back, and there was I didn't know what to do. Just didn't have a clue what to do. Mm -hmm. 
And that became my life. I became a recluse in my bedroom, the master bedroom. They kept me so doped I couldn't hardly find the bathroom at times. I would bang my head. I'd be sitting on the floor. Uh, my wife would walk in and say, help me up and say, what's the matter? I'd tell her I can't find the door to go to the bathroom. And uh, it, it just was crazy. The kids all thought... I mean, I couldn't stand them to touch me. I, I didn't want to talk. I didn't even like lights on in the bedroom. I just stayed there by myself. And finally, a spirit of suicide came over me, and I heard a voice. And I, at, at that time, I thought it was the Lord talking to me, saying, James, that's enough. Come on up. Don't worry about it. And it was so bright and so uh, real that I said, you're kidding. He said, no, just come on. And uh, as I began to think about it, uh, the voice kept telling me, it's time to take your life back. You don't have to make the pain be your life. You can stop this. All you've got to do is kill yourself. And that pain will quit. And it began to make sense to me. And I now I know why they called it the suicide disease, because uh, so many of the TN sufferers end up that way. They end up killing themselves. So I, uh, I began to think about it, and I'm sane. I certainly had a walk with the Lord, but I thought, well, if he's asking me to do it, I think I can do it. I didn't know exactly how, but I kept a pistol in my drawer right alongside the bedstead, uh, that, uh, but that was just for protection for the house, and I began to visualize myself just shooting me in the back of the head. Mm. And uh, I, I thought, but how do, how do you just do it? And I couldn't come up with a way, so I came up finally that what I'll do is just pick a time and forget about it, don't worry about it, but when that time comes, take the pistol and kill yourself. And I thought, okay, I can do that. Well, I never told my wife, of course. Uh, I, uh, I uh, just something I wouldn't discuss. Sure. But the doctors have said that the that the guy's pretty dangerous. He's uh, really depressed and really down. Make sure that there's nothing around. Uh, all the stuff. And so, uh, on a Thursday night, I decided for sure I was going to kill myself at five o'clock on Tuesday, the next Tuesday. Our youngest son, Ryan, who's now in, in, at Spartanburg going to school in Sherman, he had soccer practice, and Mom would leave the house and head on out to uh, the school and pick him up after school and run him over to the soccer field, which wasn't at the school, and sit there with other mothers and such and, and watch the kids and then bring him home. But I knew the house would be empty, so she wouldn't hear the gunshot. And so I, I really felt at peace. Uh, today I know why and how people can can jump out of a, a window or off of a bridge or or run their car into the front of a semi. I, it make it makes so much sense to me because you really believe that you're now in control. And I just began to get peaceful from being stressed out. Of, the stress began to go away, and I really could see a way out of this pain. And then. Friday night, Rhonda comes walking upstairs and into the bedroom and says, look, I'm going to uh, uh, go get groceries. Don't do anything stupid while I'm gone. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> never said anything to her. I just kind of looked at her. But I was thinking to myself, I'm killing myself on Tuesday. Don't worry about it. you got to go get groceries. Go get some. 
So off she went, and the remarkable thing about that trip was is that she was listening to uh, to a Christian station, and there was a lady on there talking about, do you have pain you've been told you're just going to have to learn to live with? Or you've got pain that you're being told that it's a phantom pain, it's all in your head, or uh, we can't find anything really that makes this work, or just all kinds of stuff. And Rhonda thought most of everything that uh, she talked about I had complained about and had heard from other people, and so uh, it said, "Well, anyway, if you're if you're interested, let me introduce you to a, one of America's best kept secrets called upper cervical. It's a chiropractic treatment." And so uh, uh, she said, "Okay, what do I do?" And the lady left an 800 number, and she called and asked where we lived. And at the time, we lived in Norman, Oklahoma, there at the university, and. And uh, she says, well, you're very fortunate. She says, there's only two of those doctors in your state, and one's in South Oklahoma City, which is 17 miles away. Mm. So she asked Rhonda, she said, you want me to have the doctor call you? And Rhonda said, will the doctor do that? And she said, oh, yeah. Huh. So she did. The doctor called her Saturday morning, and they talked for a while. And the doctor said, I, I want to tell you for sure right now that I have never worked on a uh, a trigeminal neuralgia case before. But I understand that the work that I do has had extremely good results. So uh, 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 tell your husband, put some hope in him and tell him that maybe there is an answer. And she said, okay, can I get an appointment? She said, sure. She said, I can't get you on Monday because they're installing my uh, x-ray and it's gotta be certified, everything's gotta be right, but I can see him on Tuesday. And so she said, okay. So she came upstairs and she was so happy and and uh, uh, I, I'm just looking at her. I didn't ask her anything, just looking at her. And she did, told me about the phone call, told me about what she'd heard on the radio, told me everything about it. And uh, she said, uh, "So we're gonna, I've gotten, uh, you know, we're gonna go see this upper cervical doctor." And I said, "Well, what's an upper cervical doctor?" And she said, "Well, that's a chiropractor." And I went. Oh, goody. I'd been to about five during this period, and I'd had rotary breaks, and I'd had everything that they could possibly do to try to stop this, and it didn't work. And I thought, uh, I'm not going to go. And then the other side of me said, no, you need to go. You've only got two or three more times maybe that you can do something that your wife is asking you to do before you're gone. So I said, uh, okay, great. And she said, well, I, I made this appointment on Tuesday. And I said, what time Tuesday? <laughs> and she said, uh, 10 in the morning. And again, I thought, well, I'm killing myself at 5. I can go with her at 10. Wow. And so I left the house, and that was the first time in two years I'd been out of the house. And she drove me up there and walked into the place. And this doctor come walking up the hall and said, do you have any idea what we're going to do? And I said, no. And she said, well, she said, I'm going to take some x-rays and get a look at what your head and your, your neck look like. And then she says, I'm going to get your head on straight. And once I can get it on straight, your body's going to heal itself. And I looked at her with almost, uh, just almost, well, I just wasn't very happy. But I didn't say anything. I just looked at her. And she said, now come back here and we'll do these, uh, these x-rays. So we did. And I went back and she took three x-rays and after a while she come, said, come here, let me show you this. And she showed me my skull and my, my, my neck and the, the, the upper cervical area. And she says, now do you see your head kind of tilting here? And I said, yes. 
And she said, your head's not only tilting, it's actually uh, tilting and it is uh, forward. And uh, she said, have you felt or noticed that hump you got in, the, in your back? And I said, yes. And she said, well, that's part of what your, your backbone is doing. She says, your, your head's like a bowling ball. And uh, it's, it's so far forward that it's trying to, gravity's taken over and trying to knock it onto the floor. But your backbone is kind of swinging underneath it, trying to hold it up properly. And it's forming a hump on your back. And I said, okay. And she said, so come on, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. So about an hour later, she come walking back out again, and she says, I think I've got what, what we do need to do. Uh, why don't you just come on back? So I did. Went back there, laid down in a side position, and she did uh, whatever it was she did. Uh, she moved the C1 in such a way that I never felt it. I didn't even feel her touching my skin. It was a chiropractor, so I expected a snap, crackle, and pop, and uh, uh, something that would let me know that she had found a bone that was out of place or, or subluxated or something. And uh, uh, But I didn't feel anything, and finally she says, okay, I think we have it. So she helped me up off of the table. It was about, only about eight inches off the floor. And uh, I got up and she said, but let's take a post x-ray and see if, if we do have it. And I said, okay. So I went and sat down in their little bucket chair and she took another shot. And a little while later, she brought me back in. And, and sure enough, my head was moved over. It wasn't 100% on right, but it was over and it was backwards a little bit. And she says, okay, now what I want you to do is go on home and I'll see you on Friday. And I said, okay. So I walked out and got in the car and uh, Rhonda come out about 10 minutes later, and I'm sitting there seething. I am so upset, I can't believe it, because it is hurting worse now than it did before I walked into her office. And I, my first question out of my mouth was, Rhonda, did you pay her? And she said, well, yes, I did. And I said, oh, oh. And I said, she said, what's the matter? And I said, Ron, it's killing me. It's worse. Than, if, if, I never thought I could get it worse. It's worse. Wow. Just take me home. So she took me home, and I went upstairs and took my clothes off and laid in the bed with pillows all around me and uh, tried to bury my face so that I could get into some kind of a comfortable position and wait uh, for, the, for the clock to just turn to 5 o'clock. And about an hour and a half that I had been laying there, I got about a 10-second break, no pain. It just stopped. And I screamed at Rhonda, and Rhonda come running upstairs and asked me what's the matter. But by the time she got there, the pain was back again. And I said, nothing. I thought I felt something, but I didn't. Uh, just don't worry about it. And I waited, and finally I heard her car leave to go get Ryan. And I'm laying there, and I'm looking at the clock, and again it happened. And this time the pain went away for about 25 seconds. And I knew immediately that... God had given her some kind of a strength in those hands. She had done something that all the medicine I had taken, all the different uh, acupunctures, uh, just whatever, all the things I took would not break that pain when it was on, and she broke it. And the pain then began to slowly, it still was hurting, but not like it was. I could feel it going down. I went back on Friday. I, of course, didn't kill myself. I went back on Friday, and, and uh, she corrected again. And then I think I saw her the following week and the following week, and I had to be corrected both times. So I got, ended up getting corrected four times in 11 days, four times, and my pain was gone. 
and I just it blew my brains out. I just could not believe it. I I, I was so happy and so thankful. I asked the doctor. I said, uh, "What can I do for you?" And she says, "Get well." Yeah. And I said, "No. I mean, uh, can I?" Uh, donate some money to you or something i know you're just getting started or or what i said but, uh, i said i'm being kind of selfish asking you that uh uh although it sounds like i'm trying to do something good what i don't want to do is have you go out of business so i don't know how to reach you in case that pain comes back and she says well you know if you have any friends or something you could tell them about what i do and and send them into the office so i said okay so uh that sunday uh, I'm at church and hadn't been at church for so long, and people are, are talking and I'm talking. I'm hitting my face and telling them there's no pain and just going on and on. The preacher said, James, you feel like preaching next Sunday. And I said, I'll preach next Sunday provided you let me speak about these doctors and, and what he has done with these doctors. And he says, I don't care. I mean, it's, you, you got the floor. You do what you want to do. So I said, good. So I began to preach uh, that next Sunday on uh, in Genesis, and I talked about uh, uh, the way that God designed us and that he uh, truly had us in mind to be in his likeness. He uh, put us on this earth because he wanted us to live forever with him. So his body was designed in such a way that it would heal itself like a self-healing organism. And... Uh, I, I said all kinds of stuff and, and gave all kinds of scriptures showing it. But I said, basically, what really happened was, in my opinion, now this is just James talking, but when Adam came out after he blew into that dirt, and I said, you know, for some people, it's tough to believe that he blew into the dirt and a, and a, and a person come out. But I said, when that person come out, I believe the first words out of God's mouth was spit an image. He looked just like me. And that began our trick in growing. Now, we had sin, and we had all kinds of problems, and we didn't quite live forever, and, and we're still in that position. But if we can get our bodies back as close to the way he first designed us, our body will heal itself. And I knew that if you cut me really deep on my forearm or wherever in my body, provided that you could clean it and keep it wrapped, that, that skin would begin to scab over it would begin to heal itself. And I also knew that if you broke my leg and you could lay those bones, uh, or me lay me down and push those bones together and, and make them fit as close as you possibly can, they'll begin to knit together. And I thought to myself, if God is capable of taking the largest organ of our body, the skin, and the hardest other than the enamel of our teeth, he could take the bones and they could begin to heal back together. Why in the world can't he do the pancreas? Why can't he do the heart or the lungs or the liver or the kidneys? And I began to pray about it and talk about it to him, and he began to tell me, I can. You can. Your body is in that position. All you got to do is make certain that that breath of life is still working through. And it's a, we call it in, in, in chiropractic world, we call it innate, but it's an intense. This is the end of part one. Please go to part two. Here's a, another bonus for upper cervical doctors. If you go to my website at www.uppercervicaldocs.com slash blog, and uh, you'll see the um, 
different categories uh, in my blog there, but if you click on Upper Cervical Marketing and scroll until you find the article titled Five Fun Ways to Get More Patients from the Web. Uh, this is uh, based on a talk that I gave at the local Chamber of Commerce and uh, there is a, a slideshow that I've embedded into that post with audio and if you just scroll down and click on the uh, embedded uh, video that you see there uh, it'll run through the entire presentation and this will show you five ways that you can use the internet to get more patients um, and uh, it doesn't uh, the five ways that I show you don't doesn't even require that you have a website um, and I tell you how to do that in there uh, of course if you have a website this will get more traffic to your page uh, to your website but um, the the techniques that I uh, demonstrate in this slide presentation don't even require you to have a website. So once again, it's www.uppercervicaldocs.com slash blog and click on Upper Cervical Marketing, uh, which you'll see in the uh, navigation menu, um, third line down from the top. Uh, go have a look at that, and uh, I hope it helps you intelligence in our body that works through our nervous system and provided there's no obstruction the nerves are, are speaking back and forth between every cell in our body and our brain but I liken it to a hose and you've probably heard this a thousand times but I do liken it to a hose uh, the, each nerve going down there is like a hose going out to your garden but if I kink it you're not going to get to do your garden as well as you did before if I'll unkink it, then the pressure will come back and the water will water. And I know that's exactly what happens to those nerves. If there's some kind of an obstruction that stops it so that it can't, like a great example that I give when I'm out speaking and talking, I ask everybody who likes Snickers, and almost every hand goes up. And I go, well, then pretend you've got one of those bite-sized Snickers in your mouth, start chewing it. Now, when you got it chewed pretty well, swallow it. Well, the minute that you swallow that, your pancreas is screaming that uh, you ate another Snickers. And it screams to the brain and says, I need insulin to start breaking this down. And without you knowing it or me knowing it or anybody else knowing it, the brain goes, no problem. And it sends the, the, the energy to the pancreas and the, and the insulin comes out and it, 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 she's ready for another bite. But... If that nerve that's running down through that upper cervical area is obstructed or subluxated in such a way that it's touching that hose or that nerve, the chances are maybe not the whole 100% of the message is going up to the brain when it says, I've got to break this sugar down. And so if 60%, let's say, is working, then that's 60% is all you're going to get of your, of your insulin. And all of a sudden, and thank God that we've got uh, physicians out there that can spot it, they go, geez, you're not producing enough insulin. You're going to have to take insulin. In fact, you're probably going to have to take it the rest of your life. And there we are. Now we're taking insulin because the hose is kinked. Then we meet an upper cervical doctor, and they correct us because we got these horrible migraines or we got this pain going down our leg or whatever it is, some kind of a symptom that caused them to go in there. Well, as they open and clear that, 
and allow that nervous system to do the work it was designed to do, it not only takes care of that pain in their in their head the, or back or wherever it happens to be because we can feel those things, it begins to take care of that pancreas. And I have got, uh, we have people we know who have had, uh, had been on insulin and had their doctor say, uh, you're about to overdose on insulin. Wow. We gotta cut you back and cut you back until finally you don't have to take insulin anymore. I don't know what happened, don't know what you're doing, but oh, I've never heard of this before, but you don't need to take any more insulin. Wow. And uh, we've seen it in case after case of, of just about everything you can imagine. Uh, to get to that point, though, where I got where I would do the things that I do today is uh, I felt the Lord told me that, James, these people, these doctors are for my kingdom. They're my gift. But he said uh, they have no money stream. They don't have a uh, pharmaceutical standing behind them saying, well, uh, uh, prescribe all that and I'll build you another something or whatever. They don't have that. So you need to go tell them. Well, that year when I first got with uh, my doctor, that year I uh, brought in 350 patients. Hmm. Out of that church, uh, probably 70% of them came out of that church. And it was just the beginning. Uh, by the end of three years, we had, we had just got, uh, uh, I forget now how many it was, but 1,580 or something, but a lot of patients. And then I began to get called out by other doctors saying, well, can you come and help? And we began to do these patient appreciation dinners because they certainly wouldn't come to listen to me and they wouldn't come to listen to the upper cervical doctor because they don't know who he is. But you're having a free meal at the Hilton. Right. You're having a free meal by such and such a caterer that is world-renowned or whatever, and it's free? Yeah, I'll come. And so uh, my wife and I would go and talk and explain what had happened and where we were and then urge them to get signed up and get involved with this doctor. And the uh, in fact, I just got home yesterday from Ames, Iowa. Uh, two doctors up in Ames, uh, uh, the newspaper picked up and wrote an incredible article about what had gone on with us. 228 people were there. Uh, at least half of them were patients because patients spread the word to bring in the skeptics or just people they'd like to see get well. And. Uh, when I left that night, 40 had signed, and I just got an email that four more had called this morning saying, or yesterday morning, saying that they uh, were definitely wanting to be patients. Wow. So the doctor feels that uh, that it's been good for him. And yeah. I go, great, wonderful. If that's 40 people listen, if you only got 40, you only got 44, or whatever you get. Yeah. It's, it's a blessing. It's fantastic. Uh that's a, I mean, 228, that's a pretty good crowd, too. Uh, we've spoken to a crowd of 903. In fact, we even charged an admission when we did that one. We did that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and did it at the uh, Omniplex and had a health talk and uh, based on just all kinds of things that were going on, and we invited some vendors to come, and we had some other people there, too, that were talking about what they did on health and then I ended it with uh, talking about upper cervical. All of these things look really good, and they are good. But if your head's not on straight, uh, what symptom that you're into or whatever your problems are, we still haven't got, we've just kind of masked them. 
But once your head's on straight, then every one of these things that are out here will help you and do the job they were designed to do. When I've you... never charged cents, by the way, and I don't charge for my speaking. I have no fee. I ask for them to take care of my expenses to get me up there and back. If they'd like to give me an honorarium, they may, but it's not required and not asked. That's just the heart deal. If you feel like you want to do it, do it. Uh, and so, then just tell me how you want me to close. Tell me what you're giving these folks that are going to be here tonight or tomorrow night or whatever so that I can tell them what they can take advantage of. And that's uh, 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 that's what the organization does. That's that's like the uh, the entire model of what you do. Yes. Okay. Well, when you... I wrote a book called What Time Tuesday, mm -hmm. and I've been very fortunate with it. We've sold about 100,000 and sell uh, several hundred every month, and uh, they, they're not listed on any kind of a bookstore. You won't find them anywhere. And the doctors themselves order them and then give them to patients and say, if you've got somebody out there that you think... Uh, uh, what I do might be able to help them. They go, oh, yeah, but I'm not a salesman. I've talked to them about it. They won't come. They'll say, well, take this book and let them read the book and then let their spirit be their guide. They feel like I can do something, then they'll show up. Well, tell us about uh, 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 being an author. Uh, this, uh, The book, uh, What Time Tuesday, uh, did, yeah. did you publish that yourself? Yes, I self-published all my books. They're all, uh, they're not designed for the general public. Every book I've got, it's, it's a specific purpose. And uh, so I have a target market. And the only sale I really make is to the one that I believe then can distribute it out however they want to do it. And uh, it does very well that way. What was the name of the first book? The first one was called uh, Feed the Tiger. Feed the Tiger. And what was that about? Well, it it was about my life out there, out of this world, out of out of America, and doing different kinds of things all over the world, and uh, my conversion to uh, Christianity. I see. Okay. Uh, was your uh, what was your target for that book? Was it uh, uh, like a uh, tract almost? It was like a. Uh, I thought it would be a great evangelistic book. Okay that I could uh, speak. I, I visualized uh, that I would be speaking in churches and we'd hand those books out and, and they could take it to maybe people that think they're so far gone there's no way they'll ever get saved or whatever. Okay. And uh, I realized I was becoming a lounge act. Uh, I, I went to the churches and did these things and I got uh, good bookings and the books did quite well. But I never felt comfortable. I was like that was all about James and what uh, glorifying a terrible life and uh, all kinds of things, but just not really the thing. And I went fishing down in Florida with a buddy I grew up with, and uh, uh, Steve. And Steve's a, kind of an intricate part of this because uh, right after I got uh, uh, the pain stopped, I drove down to Ardmore, 120 miles away, and and uh, sat with him and his wife. And uh, Steve's an extremely wealthy man uh, who married the cheerleader, and and uh, uh, she fell off of a pyramid in, uh, in high school when uh, at a basketball game and hit the back of her head and began to suffer migraines. And he, uh, as the years went by, got richer and she got sicker. 
and he took her everywhere, literally everywhere, from the Mayo Clinic in America to anybody that professed uh, an ability to get rid of migraines he went to and then uh, took her to Europe. And then finally, uh, he ended up with this a bag with a bunch of syringes in it and medicine. And when she felt one going on, he would just shoot her with it or give her a shot, and she'd be out for two or three days. So they had no life and uh, lived in a very palatial home. And uh, uh, he became a avid book reader and, and just sat around, nothing to do. He couldn't do anything. They couldn't plan on a vacation, nothing, because she would have these severe migraines. So when I was down there talking to them about this and they couldn't believe that that pain was gone, I said, and it'll help your migraine. And I didn't know that. Huh. And he says, well, what do you mean it will? And I says, well, they'll correct your neck or something. And I don't, I'm not sure what they do, but I'm just telling you it will work. Huh. And he kind of poo-pooed it, but his wife said, well, it's worth a try. Mm. So they followed me back up to Oklahoma City and uh, 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 the doctor didn't have that many patients, so she took her immediately. and. While she was there, she was beginning a pretty severe migraine. And after the doctor corrected her, uh, the migraine got relief on the table. And by the time she was home, there was no pain at all. Wow. And to this day, she's still under a preservable care. She doesn't suffer from migraines. And they, they now enjoy a life that they never dreamed they'd be able to do. I mean, they go on a, a, a world uh, ocean cruise that costs uh, 350000 Good night. <laughs> Which doesn't mean anything to them. They go, oh, that's nice. Wow. We're gone for a few months. Wow. Well, so, go, uh, go ahead. Well, so anyway, I'm down in, in, in uh, 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 Florida. They have a home down there, and we're going to go out deep sea fishing. And, and I'm sitting there in his office, <clears throat> and I have my computer with me, and I'm just looking at the different emails and things that had come in. And uh, he said, uh, you know, we got to get going. I said, okay. And about that time, I felt I heard the Lord tell me, you need to write your story. And I thought, what? Well, yeah, I don't know why, but okay. And he said, no, I mean, you really do need to write. And I said, okay, I will. And he says, I mean now. And so I, Steve come walking back and he says, you're just sitting there. And I said, yeah. I said, I got this feeling that I'm supposed to write the book about what I do. And he said, uh, you're kidding. And I said, no. And, and I got to write it right now. <laughs> so they stopped all their plans and uh, I stayed in the office for three days and wrote the book. Wow. So you wrote, this is what time Tuesday, correct? Yeah, you wrote that entire book in three days in a friend's office. Yeah, we had to we had to edit it, of course. My wife's a wonderful editor, and and I mean I wrote it uh, pretty loose, and she tightened it up very tight, and added some stuff to it, and we made it make a lot more sense than what I did, and then uh, that's it, and we've been reprinting it ever since. Do you uh, ever speak at chiropractic schools? I bought most of them. Uh, uh, Palmer, of course, and uh, uh, Sherman, and Life down in Atlanta, Life West out in uh, uh, Oakland, and uh, Cleveland in Los Angeles, and uh, Logan in St. Louis, and uh, I'm sure someplace else. I don't. I can't think right this moment. But yeah, I do speak at them, and uh, I only speak upper cervically. 
I talk uh, to chiropractors because I think it's the greatest uh, harvest that you can find to convince. They already know about the innate. They already know about the subluxations. They already know that this works, but uh, they don't necessarily know that if you'll get the top two bones right, then they will uh, begin, that nervous system will begin to straighten out everything else. No matter what the pain is, it'll go find it. And better than that, uh, you don't have to see them every three days or every three weeks or three times a week or however often you've been doing it. You can get rid of that stuff. Well, at the beginning, I was kind of booed out of the places. Were you really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Upper cervical in those days wasn't very popular. Uh, we had gathered and found about 200 doctors that we were working with, and now I work with 1,687 of them. Wow. There's that many upper cervical doctors in the country, huh? Uh, well, all over the world. They're not all in the country, but most of them are. 98% of them are, but there are in other countries, and we've spoken in other countries also. Wow. Well, um, who is your upper cervical doctor? At the moment, I'm using a, a young uh, uh, married uh, husband and wife, Ben and Monica Franz, and they uh, currently have their office in Greenville, South Carolina, and they practice a technique called NUCA, <clears throat> and I respond best to NUCA, although I have been corrected by every uh, upper cervical persuasion there is, but my best results are with the NUCA doctor. What do you think about the uh, direction that upper cervical is going with the uh, uh, unification that uh, is being attempted through the uh, evolution seminars and the upper cervical health centers? What's your impression of all that? Well, I think it's incredible. I uh, preached that from the very beginning when I first started talking to these doctors. I would have to be with the Nukas or the AOs or the Orthos or the the Blairs, the, the knee chest, the Kales, the anything. And uh, they not only wouldn't let you talk about another persuasion, they didn't even want to know. Some of them didn't even know there were other upper cervical techniques. And I began to preach constantly about unification. You've got to build a voice a voice loud enough that the public can hear you because you have no money and because you guys are all islands and because you separate yourselves the enemy or the medical medical mafia loves it because you guys kill your own <laughs> you, you 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 wipe out this whole section because they're not doing what you're doing right and uh, consequently you have no strength uh you'd have nobody except maybe in your community some are quite successful but most of you guys are going out of business and uh, being a businessman i talk business to them i says uh, uh you know either we do it or we don't so i went to ray drury i lived in oklahoma at the time and i came out and i spoke at a couple of his offices and the returns were really good and he says my god you can make a fortune doing this and i said well i'm not in it for the money ray i'm in it because i'd like to see upper cervical become the buzzword in america not uh, ao like dr kerr on on uh, montel williams or or none of that my, my they need to speak upper cervically and if they'll say upper cervical it becomes something that people can identify with and so uh I talked with him one night, and I said, you ought to do that. He said, ought to do what? I said, you ought to begin to blend offices together and bring them together and show that these can be compatible. 
So he had his first, uh, he did a few offices, then started, went really in debt, and did the first evolution out in, in Nevada. And uh, I stood in the background. I, I, I don't care to be known that I, I'm, I'm instrumental in doing this. I just want to be part of it to watch it grow so that I can help take advantage of it by uh, having more doctors that I can send uh, patients to that read the book and call me or write me and say, geez, I want to find one of these doctors. And that evolution has grown huge. And the un unity has become unbelievable. And now you can go into one of their offices, the Upper Cervical Health Centers. Uh, you can be in one of their offices, and there'll be a Blair in one room, and there's a knee chest in the other. Mm. Or there's an AO and a uh, whatever. I mean, they, they, they're just mixed and matched. And now they're beginning to have a relationship with each other. And now they go, well, I know him. I know he doesn't do what I do, but I know him, and I know he's a good doctor. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend you go see him. Yeah. And that has just spread like crazy. Well, uh, people are beginning to hear and notice and come. And that's why you can now write a story in a newspaper and draw in 200 people or 300 people. Because you're not talking about chiropractic. Uh, 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 chiropractic doesn't have a good name. It, it just doesn't, and I'm really sorry about that. Uh, I have no problem. Uh, I, some of my best friends are chiropractors. I have no problem with that. I just, uh, it's, it's like saying I do something, and, and people go, ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. But if you say I'm an upper cervical doctor and you actually do upper cervical work, uh, they'll come to you. You can be a chiropractor or a witch doctor or whatever, but if you get me well, I'm coming. Yeah. And they do come, and they do get well. And I preach that to them, too, that, uh, you know, every time I'm with you guys or a group of you guys or a bunch of you guys, I talk to you guys about you have to replenish yourself. How many offices can you count on on one hand that has another intern or another associate working with them? Or is it just Smith Chiropractic out here in the middle of the wilderness somewhere? You've got to replenish yourself because there's going to come a time where they're going to scream for you guys and there won't be anybody here. Yeah. And it's the same thing I do with the, with the patients. After they're well, I go, you need to become an advocate. Well, what is it going to cost? It doesn't cost you anything. All it requires is bring in 10 people. 10 people that get a full treatment, get well, have a great story, and you're now an upper cervical advocate. Uh, who's going to know it? Who cares? You know it. <laughs> you know, this isn't a, uh ego thing, and it certainly isn't a money stream because there's no money in it. The doctor, I mean, a workman is worthy his wage. The doctor, in my opinion, and I preach this at most of the schools, too, is they don't charge enough. Yeah. Uh, I think some of our highest uh, upper cervical now are around $900 for that initial visit and $80, $85 uh, per visit. Mm -hmm. Some don't charge if they're holding. Some charge if they've got to do the work. Uh, they all have their own different ways of doing things, and that's their business. But uh, they, they need to let people know that this is good, it works, and you pay for it. When I'm talking and speaking, I tell them that just before I'm ready to commit suicide, my last thing I was offered was from my doctor. He says, I can arrange a surgery for you, and it's only 42000 and I says, what does the surgery do? And he says, well, they put a Teflon tube around that and, you know, to stop that from wearing against itself or its blood vessel or something. 
And I go, wow, uh, does it work? And he said, well, about 20%. And I said, what about the other 80%? And he says, well, you can die. You can go blind. You can get it on the other side. You can wake up and it hurts worse than it did before you went to sleep. There's all kinds of bad things, but, but there is a 20% chance of working. So I said, I don't have 42,000, so I'm not going to worry about it. He said, look, get a second on your house. Don't worry about it. And I thought, I'm not doing that either. I'm not leaving my wife with now two mortgage payments, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. My total cost of getting well from this incurable disease, my total cost of getting well uh, was the same as my uh, uh, pharmaceuticals for two months. Wow. So uh, 42000 or two payments for two months on pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And now, 71, I just had a medical, my family forced me, and I had absolutely no, no, even a thought about doing, but my family said, you need to get a full medical uh, uh, exam, everything. And so I did, after much duress, but I did go do it. When it was all over with and all the tests were back and that, everything was letter perfect. And the doctor, she was a woman, and, and her name was June, and June says, James, I don't know what you're doing. But whatever it is, keep it up. She said, I've never seen a 71-year-old man as healthy as you are. She says, even your cholesterol is dead on. And I said, well, I'm under epicerpical care. And she says, well, I don't know what that is either, but keep doing it. Wow. I said, okay, thanks. So I left her the book when it was all over with. And I said, you get a chance to read it, and that'll kind of tell you what I went through and why to this day I don't even take an aspirin. I don't get colds, I don't sniffle my nose, I don't, nothing, it just stays away because my immune system is so keen on, if something comes up, it, it eradicates it immediately. I don't take flu shots either. So uh, that's been my quest and that's where I've been at and so do I, what do I think about the unity? I think it's absolutely what is so strongly needed, it's unreal. Uh, I wish there was an AMA for, for upper cervicals. I wish there was some kind of association that everybody banded together and only talked good about their brother. I mean, a doctor can cut the wrong foot off and have done it. And the office right next door is, is packed. Mm -hmm. Let a chiropractor uh, do something that's weird. Maybe he doesn't have his, his, uh, his craft down as well as he should, or maybe he doesn't quite understand what he is doing and does something that isn't quite good. Well, he wiped out about four offices doing that, plus the bad news about chiropractors just goes everywhere. Right. And so I said, well, you've got to stop that. I mean, you can be stupid, but I, but you, or, or you can stop it. And the only way you can stop it's got to start with you. It doesn't start with 40 other people. It starts with you, your attitude, how you feel and what you do. Your mouth says things, and it kills us, all of us. Stop it. And I begin to talk to him like a dad and say, you know, grow up. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Very passionate. Well, if you could do things all over again uh, with everything that you've gone through and knowing what you know now, do you think you would have become an upper cervical doctor? Oh, I sure wouldn't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, that temperament. I wished I was. I'm an orator. I'm a writer. I'm a. Uh, 
I'm a, like, uh, uh, it's something I used to say when I was young, you know, uh, kind of stupid to say, but I would always say it. I'd say, look, if you want to be in the band, you got to blow your own horn. Yeah. And if you don't do it, and it means you don't even believe what you're doing is right because you're not even talking about it. You're not even acting like you can do it. Mm -hmm. So blow that horn. Let us hear it. And then get in the band if, if you can blow it good. Well, my next question. I didn't mean a band specifically. I meant anything you're doing. Yeah. Do it. Well, my next question was going to be uh, what kind of advice do you have for uh, chiropractic students and young doctors? And, uh, and you, you just gave some there, but do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, I sure do. I, I believe probably the most important thing that they can do is hone their skill. Uh, do what it takes. Listen to what they're saying. Uh, I, of course, would encourage them to go on up to upper cervical. Uh, if you could get that out of this country, by the way, it's called uh, the mouth of God. If you can get that open properly and that obstruction on that, that nerve uh, uh, stem properly, uh, it will take care of the rest. Everything else. You don't have to chase the pain, and, and they come back and they say, boy, that pain I had in the middle of my back, it's back again. You've got you to gotta crack my back again. Mm -hmm. uh, and you say, okay. And they charge them, and off they go. Uh, it's better to just get them well. Just stop all that. Get that head on straight and watch that spine begin to unwind and watch all of those symptoms go away. And they don't come back. And if they do come back, it's because their head's off again. We'll correct the upper cervical again. I mean, I'm now 12 years into it, and I'm able to hold my adjustments about two, two and a half years. Unless I do something dumb, like, and I do something dumb a lot. If I'm flying somewhere, and I'm in a rush, and I think I've just got to get off this plane real quick, the bell goes off, and I'm standing up because I just got my seatbelt off, and I'm hitting my head on the top of the, uh, or on the bottom of the overhead. Right. And about three days later, I start getting spikes in my face. Mm. Oh, really? And i got to find a doctor. So you still will get the uh, the same types of pains oh, when your atlas goes out? Listen, if it stays 12 days bad, I'm suicidal again. Wow. And I've been overseas in Africa with a bunch of upper cervical doctors with a technique that, I, that doesn't particularly do well with me and had to wait until I could get on the plane and fly back and then get back to a doctor that could take care of me. So in essence, you're still dealing with this, but as long as your atlas is in place, it's not an issue. Absolutely. I, 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 I don't have the symptom. I still have the disease. I'm sure I do. They said it's incurable, so I'm sure I still have it. But I don't have any symptoms unless my atlas isn't right. And if my atlas isn't right, if it's not sitting properly, great. My wife, who uh, didn't have anything wrong with her, ended up having a lot wrong with her that she didn't know, and she gets corrected and things happen to her that I'm still spellbound when I watch what goes on. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's where the action is. And so if you're going to be a chiropractor, go to where the action is right. or go where the money is. Yeah. The money is rack them and stack them, you know, just do whatever you got to do. But if you want to honestly get them well so that you go to bed at night going, man, I did it, uh, go to the upper cervical. It has an inherent problem. Your patients get well. Yeah. So I preach to the patients with the advocacy that says you've got to replenish. Did that doctor help you? Yes. You've got that symptom anymore? No. Do you feel really good? Yes. 
then you need to send somebody else in there because one of these days you're going to need that doctor again and they won't be here because they went broke mm -hmm. because everybody they work on gets well and I go with that quest with them and I talk them to replenish then when I'm with the doctor I talk to the doctor to replenish this isn't a one-man show it's not you're not the only deal in town You've got, I mean, uh, we have 1,687 we work with. That wouldn't take care of all the boroughs in New York City. Hmm. I mean, it wouldn't. So we've, we've gained, but we're still nowhere. I mean, everybody screams, oh, we've got to get this on the Oprah Renfrew show. We've got to let people know. And I said, well, who's going to take care of them? That show goes all over America. If we went, what about all the people in Wyoming? There isn't one upper cervical doctor in Wyoming. Is that right? So who takes care of all those people? Wow. Now you got them excited and they want to get it. And then uh, the regular chiropractors will start saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I walked by an upper cervical class one time. I can do that upper cervical work. And they do a rotary break on them. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I mean, which is the best they can do, and and I don't fault them for it. That's the, that's what they know to do. But it isn't uh, it isn't upper cervical. But they're trying to take care of all these people that they just heard from Oprah Winfrey that this really works. Yeah. So I'm not really turned on to getting heavy, heavy publicity. Just I mean, when I go to speak, I don't go speak in a town that doesn't have a doctor. Uh, and I don't like going to just talk to one doctor. And if there's six doctors in town and two of them want to, uh, to take care of me to come, I say, what about the other four? Mm -hmm. And they go, well, they do something else. And I say, I don't care what they do. If they're up at cervical, they need to be involved in this. Yeah. You're not going to be able to take care of all the people. And then slowly they begin to say, well, that gal's not so bad after all. She's pretty good. Yeah. And last, uh, when we were at Ames, I worked for two. And we had uh, nine upper cervical and 12 chiropractors there. And I, do, I introduced every one of them. Wow. And when it was over with, an 80-year-old chiropractor came walking downstairs and he says, I have never heard anybody talk like you do about chiropractic. And he says, you made me feel good to be a chiropractor. And I said, well, you should. He said, you know, if I had all this to do again, I think I would have studied that up for cervical. But he said, I'm retired now, and I don't do anything. But uh, he says, uh, that made a lot of sense, what you said. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, you were given the, the, the greatest gift in the world, I think. And uh, you did your part, and that's good enough. That's okay. And then there'll be others that'll come along and do a little bit more, and then others a little bit more than that, and then finally there'll be upper cervicals that just absolutely knock their lights out. Does that mean every upper cervical doctor in America is great? No. Does that mean they can all get them well? No. Does that mean that, that they're, they're, they're in for an easy life? No. But if they'll hone their skills, begin to identify with what they, uh, with what they have, and I mean identify with what they have, the skill that they have, the calling that's on their life. And if they can believe that it is a calling, that they honestly are called into this kind of work, they can begin to do unbelievable things, unbelievable things. But they've got to work at it. It doesn't come easy. I mean, you and I, Paul, could be uh, portrait painters. And we, we paint portraits. That's what we do. And they could look at your work, and they could look at my work, and they could go, uh, I kind of like Paul's work better. I think I'd like him to paint my wife instead of you. And I go, oh, okay. And the reason for that being is I'm not as good as Paul is. It's an art. 
and he's an artist. He's doing a lot better than me. I need to study more. I need to practice more. I need to really work on this so I can get as good as Paul. Well, if I don't even know Paul and don't have a relationship with Paul and don't even understand Paul, how in the world am I going to get any better? What reason do I need to get any better? I've got nobody to compare with, so they all got to like me. But if we hang out together and you're showing your work and I'm showing my work and yours is so much better, uh, I need to do something. Get serious or go do something else. Right. So that's, that's kind of the philosophy, Paul, that I bring into the picture uh, and still try to stay in the background. Uh, I don't want any uh, glory, and I certainly don't want any adulations and such. They did give me an honorary doctorate from uh, one of the, the chiropractic colleges after speaking there so many times. And, and the president said to me, he says, uh, I wish that they got it like you do. And I said, well, I'm not in it for the money. He says, well, we all got to make a living. I said, I understand that. But when you're in that position, then there's a certain attitude you have. If you're in it because your passion, your heart is so strong, you can say almost anything. Because you want it to be right. You want it to be absolute, and you're not looking for a payoff. You're just looking to, can I help? Is there something I can do to help? And... Uh, the majority of the doctors that we work with, although I think we know, I, I know I've slept in the homes of about 400 upper cervical doctors. Hell, my word. Uh, we travel. We don't do it anymore. This year we cut it down to 210 days, but we used to do about 320 days a, a year. Wow. Speaking constantly at little groups of 2, 12, 22, all the way up to 900. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me how many people are there. If somebody's hurting, we need to get them to somebody that can take care of them. I'm just asking you to be able to take care of them. So hone your skills. Do what you're supposed to do. Understand. Read those x-rays properly. Look at it. And then if you don't know, ask. Find somebody that you're chums with, buddies with, that can read the and say, well, have you looked at this? Have you noticed that? Did you see this? And usually in every technique, there are coaches and teachers and, and that that are more than willing to give you anything. Send me the x-ray. I'll tell you what I see. Let me read it. Well, uh, I really appreciate you uh, speaking with me this evening. My pleasure. And if doctors would like to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, the number that you're talking to on is my home phone, and that is only workable when I'm in the home, and I'm not here very often. Um, the best one is my cell phone number, which is 704-323-9250. Uh, they can reach. If they can't reach me, it's because I'm talking on an airplane or asleep someplace, or I'm out of a tower and I can't answer it. But if they'll leave a message, I answer every one of them, and I'm the only one that answers. Well, my wife will, too. If, if we just got too many calls, she'll answer a bunch of them also. But uh, I, I really enjoy talking to the doctors, so uh, all they need to do is call. They can go up on my website, whattimetuesday.com, and they can read the story. They can see pictures. They can hear uh, uh, doctors talking about it. Uh, I'd encourage you to call Dr. Barbara Reed. She's the one we did two nights ago up in Ames, and uh, she's in Ames, Iowa, Dr. Barbara Reed, and ask her what she thought. 
she, when it was all over with, that night she looked at me and she says, I don't believe this. I've never heard it, it, it spoken that way. She says, you've given me new life. I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. She says, but I, I, I she says, you, and, and it, you're like a dad telling me. And I said, well, Barbara, I love you. I, I just love you. I, you know, I, I don't know you, but I love you. And you're obviously called, and, and you've got the skill, and just get better at it. And believe in yourself. And walk in there and have such security in your body and in your soul and in your heart that I feel secure. Uh, you walk into the room and you begin to talk or you say something or do something, I know immediately you're going to get me well. Because you're secure in getting me well. Believe it. Because if you're doing it absolutely right, I will get well. Well, I really appreciate this again. Thank you so much for talking to me. Here is a bonus tip for all upper cervical doctors. How many times have you wished that you could send your patients an upper cervical patient newsletter, but you just don't have the time to make one yourself? Maybe you've looked at newsletter services and have been disappointed that they were very general and could possibly confuse your patients with a message that isn't congruent with your philosophy. Well, now you have a choice. I provide a service to upper cervical chiropractors where I'll write an upper cervical patient newsletter for you. I'll personalize it to you and your practice, and I'll even process and mail the whole thing for you if that's what you want. Find out more information by going to my website, www.uppercervicaldocs.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click on the link that says Upper Cervical Patient Newsletter.